I mean, it's not like the Yankees are... I mean, they've won 27 World Series. They're probably the most successful franchise in sports worldwide. But, well, that might be myopic. There's probably some, like, Brazilian soccer team that's more successful than the Yankees. But... I mean, 27 championships is a lot. We'll uh, say but that But then much. you're going to get the haters saying, oh, they call it the World Series and they don't play all the world, you know. Well, sure. they sure. play in anyways, Canada. Anyways. And, I mean, it is the best baseball league in the world. And there are players Anyway, from... Sam, to your point. Well, no, no, but I think that's like – I actually do want to comment on that because people do say that all the time. Oh, but it's called the World Series if they only play in America. Well, I think it, people don't understand or are unwilling to say like – Baseball is a global sport, and why? Like people who say it's not a global sport, I think is are looking from a Eurocentric point of view, just because baseball is not big in Europe, but it's huge in Latin America. It's big in Asia. It is a global sport, and the number one league is the MLB. So I think it's fine to call it the World Series when you've got players from all over the world playing in it. Um, yeah, my issue is just that it's like a big monopoly, you know. Well, MP, I would say the MPB is is a pretty big league and those players make millions of dollars yeah but it's not hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars you know what i mean it's just that's the issue it is a world game or a worldwide game but mlb just has so much more money that they all come to america to play in the best league and that's what makes it the best league well my but, point was 27 anyway. World Series, the Yankees are have had plenty of good fortunes, but like it's not like they don't have a history of injuries. I mean, you look at Lou Gehrig's career ends early because of ALS. You look at Mickey Mantle, who we're going to talk about, like destroying his knee his rookie year. Obviously, nothing compares to the 2019 Yankees where they had like over 25 guys on the injured list yep. at any yeah, given point. Like. I mean, I'm just looking at this list right now of guys who were on the injured list for the Yankees. Aaron Hicks was on and off it all year. Didi Gregoris was on it. Miguel Andujar missed the entire season. Miguel Andujar is a really good young player. Giancarlo Stanton missed basically the entire season. Troy Tillowitzki, who I forgot was even on the Yankees, missed like <laughs> almost the entire season. Greg Bird missed the entire season. Aaron Judge missed half the season. This is just, a, I mean, it's, and the fact that all of that could happen and they still were one of the best teams in the American League. I mean, Luke Voigt missed a bunch of time. They got Edwin Encarnacion. He comes, is amazing immediately, and then misses a bunch of time. Didn't they Severino did miss a bunch of time? Severino missed a bunch of time. They were cursed. I mean, they, they seemed cursed, yet they had this next man up depth where it's like, okay, Luke Voigt's out. All right, that's fine. We got Edwin Encarnacion. Everyone's out. Okay, well, Cameron Mabin's going to come in and hit 20 home runs. Right. I, it's like, what? Giancarlo stands out? Okay, well, Mike Talkman all of a sudden is, like, the second best Mike T in the history of baseball. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. Like, 2019 was wild for the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, today, though, yeah, we're going to talk about a Yankees team that did not seem cursed, uh, for the most part. Um, so welcome, everybody, to One Game at a Time. This is the podcast where we tell the story of a single game from baseball's history. I'm Warner, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Sam and Charlie. Hello, Hello. guys. Greetings. Um, Yeah, so this week's game uh, was suggested by me, uh, Warner. Uh, I suggested this one. 
but if you are listeners, uh, if you have any suggestions for games, send us an email or reach out to us on all the social media platforms. Our email is ogatpod at gmail.com. Our social media handles are at ogatpod. Uh, reach out to us. Let us know what games you want us to cover, and we'll check those out. And also, if you're a Patreon supporter, uh, you'll get priority in suggesting games as well. So definitely go check that out if there's a game you're itching to hear us talk about on the pod, uh, and we will check it out. Yeah, if you're like a Marlins fan, and you're like, they never talk about the Marlins, subscribe to the Patreon, and we'll have to talk about the Marlins every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you suggest I mean... it. Yeah, I mean... We will talk about a Marlins game probably. We'll if become a Marlins it. podcast. If if Marlins fans subscribe to the podcast uh, to the Patreon, we will become a Marlins podcast. You're talking to like twelve um, people right now. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you know, what do you guys say we talk about uh, some other teams before we inevitably become a Marlins podcast? Oh, the Yankees and Dodgers. Options. Is that who we should talk about? <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, who we should East talk Coast about. East Coast bias. Today. People Already don't talk over. enough about the Yankees and Dodgers, do they? Do people talk enough about the Brooklyn Dodgers, though? Because that's what we're doing today. That's I fair. don't hear much Brooklyn Dodgers in the news anymore, Sam. Wow. Larry I wonder King, why. where you at? <laughs> in October of the late 40s and early 50s, there were two things that were all but certain in New York. One, that the warm days of summer would give way to the cool breeze of fall, and two, that there would be World Series baseball somewhere in the Empire State. Now I'm just picturing young Larry King up in his one-bedroom apartment, whole family gathered around the transistor radio, listening to Mel Allen call this game. Yep. And on October 7th, 1952, it was time for Game 7 of the New York Yankees versus Brooklyn Dodgers in another fall classic. Since 1947, the New York Yankees had appeared in four of the last five World Series and won them all, including three straight titles from 1949 to 1951. It was no secret the Bronx Bombers were a force to be reckoned with. This is the second Yankees dynasty we're covering on this pod, and almost at any given point in baseball history, we could be talking about a Yankees dynasty. <laughs> they're everywhere. They're, they're always looming. Well, the force of the Yankees was something the Brooklyn Dodgers knew very well, having lost the World Series to them in 1947 and 1949. And now they were all that stood in the way of those damn Yankees and another title. The Dodgers were led by the legendary Jackie Robinson, who had broken the color barrier in Major League Baseball just five years earlier on April 15, 1947, when he started at first base for Brooklyn then went on to take the team to their first World Series appearance in six years. And it's 1952 now, and the Yankees, at this point, had still not broken their own color barrier. Yeah, there's a lot of teams. I think that's important to talk about, and I'm sure we're, you know, we'll kind of mention it at points here and there. But uh, just because Jackie Robinson became the first black player in baseball in 1947 did not mean that baseball was fixed. Um, it is still not fixed today. Um, there's a lot of issues. But like you said, Sam, yeah, 1952, the Yankees still uh, hadn't broken the color barrier. Um, there were a lot of teams in baseball that still hadn't broken the color barrier. There's still a lot of work to be done, um, but it was very impressive to see Jackie Robinson show up and then take the team to the World Series. Yeah, 1952, five years since Robinson broke it in, in 1947, only six of the 16 MLB teams had a black player. It yeah. wasn't until 1959 
that the last holdout, the Boston Red Sox. Brought. Fucking Boston. Yeah, Come fucking on. Boston, right? With their fucking Yaki, their their owner at the time, Yaki, who, to me, oh, yeah, Hall of Shamer. Uh, yeah, I think Yaki's in the Hall of Shamer. Yep. And Jackie Robinson is amazing. It's awesome to see him in this game. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just yeah, think we're gonna talk was, about Jackie Robinson a lot today. It was just important um, to point out, like, just mm-hmm. because, like you said, like Jackie's amazing. The Dodgers brought him in, and he brought them to World Series after World Series. But a lot of these teams, there's still ten teams at this point who had not yet integrated. Mm-hmm. Well, even though Robinson's Dodgers had fallen to the Yankees twice in three years, he'd won the inaugural Rookie of the Year award in 1947 and been named MVP in 1949, becoming the first black MVP in professional American sports. The Dodgers also boasted a lineup of fearsome power hitters in Duke Snyder and the reigning MVP, Roy Campanella, as well as elite contact hitters like Pee Wee Reese, George Shuba, and Gil Hodges, who led the team in RBIs, all on top of a stalwart defense that led the National League in fielding percentage. So I think it's worth mentioning, um, the Dodgers are not a bad team. It's not a surprise that the Dodgers are in the World Series either. They have just not had uh, the luck or the ability to put it together like the Yankees have, I think. Um, At this point, the Dodgers are 0-6 in the World Series, I think, 0-5. But they're a good team as well. These are two very good teams going up against each other. Well, remember, it's... It's the 50s. It's way back in yeah. the day. There's 16 teams in Major League Baseball, and there's no playoffs at this point. The AL winner mm-hmm. plays the NL winner, and that's the World Series. Yeah. Well, the Yankees, meanwhile, hadn't missed a step following the retirement of their three-time MVP center fielder Joe DiMaggio after the 1951 season by moving a young right fielder from Commerce, Oklahoma, named Mickey Mantle, into his place. Oh, yeah. In his first full season, the 20-year-old Mantle was named an All-Star and had already been a key part of this Yankees offense in the 1952 World Series, most notably with his eighth-inning solo shot in last night's Game 6 that was his first of an eventual 18 World Series home runs. I was just reading something earlier today about Mickey Mantle because I was was preparing for this, and Mm. (laughs) just some of the shots that that he hit over his career. I'm looking at... He hit home runs well over 500 feet, like yeah. 504 feet. He hit one out of uh, Tiger Stadium that that just absolutely shattered records. People said 565 feet he might have hit one. There's, some people think he might have hit one over 600 feet. That's insane. Yeah, the one he hit out of Tiger Stadium in 1960 – was estimated years later by historian Mark Gallagher to have traveled 643 feet. What? <laughs> that can't be right. That's like some terrible that, no. 1960s. Like no, and it <laughs> bounced like ten times. It hit a grout like a pavement road that was downhill and rolled downhill. Yeah, and then somebody and it, picked it up and threw it. <laughs> exactly. I think and then the guy gets like, there and measures it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, 600 of 55 Someone, feet. <laughs> I think, was just like walking a few blocks outside of the stadium and like saw just like a baseball that some kids were playing with. It was like, that that must be Mickey Mantle's ball. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's yeah, like, that's yeah, got to be 650 feet from the stadium. <laughs> no, no one will believe 650 feet. Let's say 643 feet. That does sound more believable. <laughs> I got to be honest. 
While the rest of the Yankees, including reigning American League MVP Yogi Berra, Phil Rizzuto, and Johnny Mize were no slouches either, as the team finished first or second in the AL in runs, home runs, batting average, and slugging percentage. They also had a pitching staff led by Allie Reynolds, who had a team-high 20 wins in a league-leading 2.08 ERA. Yeah, this Yankees team is stacked. Both teams are stacked. Should I mean, be they're both game. stacked. Yeah, this is gonna be should be a great game. Joe Black was the starting pitcher for the Dodgers, and he took the mound at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn for Game 7. Before this season, Black had been a relative unknown in Major League Baseball, despite leading the Baltimore Elite Giants of the Negro Leagues to two championships. The Dodgers had called Black up during the 1952 season at 28 years old, where he promptly won Rookie of the Year and helped lead the Dodgers to the NL pennant. Jackie Robinson was also 28 years old when he got, you know, uh, the major league contract with the Dodgers and that really makes you think about like these guys were already so old think about how good these guys careers could have been if there wasn't so much terrible discrimination against them and they actually got to come in with when guys like Mantle came in at 19 20 years old imagine Jackie Robinson Mm -hmm. had eight extra years to pad his stats or if at the very least people gave a shit enough about the Negro Leagues to actually like have put money into it and have statisticians keeping records you know yeah yeah that's just another tragedy of that whole situation Mm -hmm. is that you can't find solid records of what these great players did yeah yeah i mean we're talking about mickey mantle and all his amazing home runs but just think of how many plays from jackie robinson from roy campanella from even you know outings from joe black like how many of those did we miss because people just like you said, Charlie, weren't able to kind of keep track of that stuff. And it's unfortunate that, uh, you know, their careers maybe didn't have the same amount of time. And as we've kind of talked about, what is the highest level of baseball? A true shame. Yeah. Well, even though Black hadn't been on the spring training roster at the start of 1952, he got the start in Game 1 of this World Series, where he threw a complete game and became the first Black pitcher to win a World Series game though he took the loss in Game 4 after a seven-inning outing. That's crazy. He wasn't even on the, the spring training roster, and now he's starting Games 1, 4, and 7. That's like... Yeah, he didn't even... And so it was, I was doing more re- research into Joe Black, he wasn't even a starting pitcher for most of the season. He was coming out of the bullpen, and I think they said he got two starts in like the last week or two of the season. Um, so, and then started game one of the world series started game four and is now starting game seven so he's had more world series starts than just career starts and <laughs> i mean again you have to wonder sure the dodgers called him up um i'm sure there were still a lot of people in the dodgers organization that didn't want a black starting pitcher out on the mound they didn't want to give him the ball they didn't trust him with it but i mean he throws a complete game in the first game of yeah. the world series That's i don't know amazing. for sure but i imagine guys like robinson and campanella were like come on give him a chance he's way better than who you're throwing out there and then when the managers and front office people finally did they were like see he's he's (laughs) fucking great he's great you know what's total bullshit is that it just goes with like the typical hollywood whitewashing but when they finally made a movie about joe black fucking brad pitt played him yeah i didn't (laughs) even realize that that is so that's abhorrent. That is awful. <laughs> that's uh, 
I mean, Brad Pitt's a that fine actor. Nothing against Brad Pitt, but whoever was in charge of that casting. Meet Joe Black, you're canceled. <laughs> Meet Joe Black. Oh, God. Hall of Shame. Yeah. Well, Black got off to a quick start, working through the Yankees in order and striking out Mickey Mantle. Eddie Lopet, who had pitched eight and a third innings in a Game 3 loss, was the Yankees' starting pitcher. He worked through the bottom half of the first with ease and got some help from his left fielder, Gene Woodling, who robbed Jackie Robinson of what could have been an extra base hit to end the inning. The second and third innings saw quick at-bats from both teams, but neither could play to run and only two men made it on base, until the scooter Phil Rizzuto led off the fourth with a shot down the third baseline. Base hit. There's a tenth one off Black and the first one today, and Rizzuto is on his way for second. Cooper retrieves the ball, it bounces back, and little Phil, who had run out from under his cap, is a second with a double. Rizzuto really could scoot. He could scoot. Yeah, he got to second uh, on this play. Hustle double. That name. That's a good name. It's fun <laughs> to say too. Scooter the scooter, yeah, so I, the, the scooter Rizzuto. Yeah. Um, so I also want to just mention this broadcast that we're watching. I think it's just worth mentioning. Um, so yeah, it's from 1952. Uh, apparently, from what I read online, that this is believed to be one of the oldest television broadcasts of the World Series that was uh, preserved uh, via kinescope by Sponsor Gillette. So, uh, it was Gillette. amazing. The broadcast was amazing. Yeah, this was I a great broadcast. Don't know what else um, to say about the broadcast other than it was 1952. We've watched games from the 70s and the 90s. The, yeah. the camera work in this game is phenomenal. I mean, it's not perfect, it's but very like, good. for 1952 and the technology they had, it blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, the, this game was closer to when people were shown a video or a film of a train coming into a station and freaked out and thought that they were going to get run <laughs> over by that train. This game is closer to that than it is to today. Uh, and yet they actually put together a broadcast this well. It's actually interesting to see like how far like TV had barely been around at this point and how yeah, I was f- wondering how many people were even watching, like who even had a TV in 1952? TV. You know what I mean? Most people are still listening to this on the radio. Yeah. But like Larry they- King but they put their heart and soul into that broadcast. And... There were 9,687,000 televisions in 1952, apparently. And every Anyways. single one of them, I know this is a fact, every single one of them was tuned into this game. <laughs> I mean, what else was there to watch? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rizzuto wouldn't stay on second for long, though, as Johnny Mize poked a ball into left field. him in, hitting an outside pitch into left field. He hit the ball right where it was pitched. Reached across the plate. I think he reached out of the strike zone to hit it. It was Yankees 1, Dodgers 0, as Yogi Berra ended the fourth with a Jackie Peewee double play. Love Jackie Peewee. The connection right there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, fun to watch. Yeah. Double plays. Great stuff. Well, Duke Snyder. And his name is Peewee. Already... <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. You got to shout out uh, a great name like Pee Wee. Well, Duke Snyder, who already held the record for total bases in a series with 23, led off the bottom of the fourth with another single. Then Robinson laid down a drag bunt for a single, which inspired Campanella, who followed in his footsteps with his own drag bunt to load the bases. Wait, 
Campanella yeah. drag bunted. <laughs> yes. And the safe? It was safe. Uh yeah, these were two run. amazing shit. bunts. Um I mean I you have to imagine they were trying to just put down a sack bunt to a you know advanced Snyder, but then Robinson's safe at first. It's like, oh sweet. All right, we got two guys on, no outs. Campanella, he's like, all right, all right. I mean, come on. I'll I'll do the sack bunt. We'll get guys on second and third. That'll be sweet. And then he ends up on first. Like, what the fuck? I, I really don't think he was sack bunting. He was out of the box as quick as he possibly could. He was like, I'm I'm going for it. I he looked think... like Ichiro. Yeah, <laughs> he looked <laughs> like yeah, Ichiro. Out the box. If yeah. Ichiro yeah. ate another Ichiro. Right. He's the catcher, yeah. and <laughs> he's the catcher. If he I had... is uh. Go ahead, Sam. If I did describe his body type, I would say like a taller George Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a bigger fella. Uh, you know, you wanted a bigger target behind the plate. Got your big catcher. You don't expect him to be bunting right now. Maybe, but that's <laughs> the thing all. is like in 1952, maybe they did. You know, maybe in 1952. Like, maybe. T- today you would not expect him to be bunt, but like. Yeah, we come into it from a more modern uh, I think understanding of yeah. when to use the I bunt. Was shocked. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes it is maybe hard to fully understand the context of the bunt in 1952, but I don't know. I mean, I still just have to think like Roy Campanella does not seem like the type of player who's bunting all the time. Um, so it just, it seems surprising. I think even the broad, the, uh, Mel and Red Barber was the other broadcaster. I think they were surprised too. They sounded a little surprised in the broadcast that, Campanella laid down a bunt too. <laughs> well, with Gil Hodges at the plate, the Yankees decided to send in their best pitcher, Allie Reynolds. Reynolds was one and one with a save in the World Series, but he gave up a sack fly to Hodges that scored the first Dodgers run of the day, tying it up at one to one. Reynolds struck out George Shuba, then, with Robinson dancing around on third, threatening to steal home, got Carl Farillo to ground out and end the inning. Gene Woodling let off the fifth against Joe Black, and on the second pitch, sent a ball out towards right field. And the ball drilled out toward right field. It's gone. It's a home run for Woodling, his first to the It was Yankees 2, Dodgers 1. After giving up the solo shot, Black worked through the rest of the inning, then let off the bottom of the fifth, though he struck out looking. No comment. Uh, yeah, no comment. It would have been nice if he slammed one here, but uh, fortunately he did not. <laughs> Billy Cox followed and hammered one to right center. There's a high drive to deep right center. There goes Norton way back toward the wall, and it's going to be off the wall. Cox is going for at least two bases. The throw in to Martin, and Cox holds it second with a double. Six pitches later, Pee Wee Reese smacked one through the hole on the left side. Reese swings and hits it to left field for a base hit. Here comes Cox rounding third. He's on his way to the plate. And he goes in to tie it up. And there's Reese going down to second on the throw. And he is safe. It was tied again at 2-2 two two as Reese advanced to second on the throw following some great heads-up base running. This is terrific base running by Pee Wee Reese. By the... I, I, that's, I think, maybe something that, like, I, I, I don't have any numbers to back this up, but I feel like when you watch older games, like there's there seems to be a lot more they, they seem to put a lot more effort and stuff into the base running, a lot more of a of a an emphasis there on like obviously we're seeing the drag buttons. We're seeing guys who are 
literally stealing home and dancing around at third base. Whereas like today, it's a lot more like, I mean, people say that a big criticism of today's baseball is like it's either home run or bust. But like back in the day, it was like base running was, I think, much more a part of the game than it is today, which like that's why I love to see a guy like Javi Baez who like, yeah, he turns base running into an, an art form that is like kind of lost. Yeah, the phrase I've always heard is you want to put pressure on the defense. You know, they still say that nowadays. But back then, I think baseball players now are just, like, way more fundamentally sound than they were back then in just, like, the basic, like, hitting the cutoff man and stuff like that. So I feel like back then you putting pressure on the defense, like, literally would put pressure on them to make errors more often and now with analytics yeah. and sabermetrics and shit, they can break all that down to the nth degree and say, well, you know, it's not worth it to run because it only causes an error, right. or, you know, whatever, X amount of times or all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. But back then you just went off what you saw. If it looked Baseball like you put pressure are, on them. Are so much more risk averse, which like it might lead to better like box scores, but it does, I think, leads to like a worse viewing product not that like baseball today is not fun to watch it is especially like i said guys like hobby buys who are super fun to watch on the base path but but he's not risk averse hobby no, buys is exactly like, he, he lives he's a in guy who's like super takes huge risk and that's fun to watch that's why like a game from 1952 like this one where it's like it's not it doesn't end up being a super high scoring game like like some of the games we've done that are like you know in the double digits but it still was so fun to watch because these guys are not just doing like, okay, I get a single, I'm I'm only going to, like, they, they try to turn singles into doubles or try to get to the next base no matter what, whereas, like, today that's not the case. It's like, I'm only going to get to the next base basically if someone, I don't want to get out because I know that someone's about to hit a home run and I need to stay on base for that. Yeah. With another runner in scoring position, Jackie Robinson looked to drive him in but was robbed of another hit by the third baseman, Gil McDougald, who snagged Robinson's line drive to end the inning. Jackie's just been getting unlucky. He's smacking the ball. Well, after a beautiful backhanded play from Reese at short, let off the sixth, Mickey Mantle got another chance at the plate. And on the fifth pitch, he showed off the postseason prowess he'd eventually be known for. There's a fly ball out to right field. That ball is going, going, it is gone. Mantle's home run made it Yankees 3, Dodgers 2, and set a new record for home runs by a team in the World Series with 10. Johnny Mize followed with another single, which finally ended Joe Black's day. He'd thrown five and a third innings, allowing six hits and three runs off the back of two homers but he walked off the field to a standing ovation from the Dodger faithful as they celebrated the pitcher that had led them to this World Series. That was pretty awesome, the standing yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, I will say, it's not every single person in the stands, um, but it's a lot of people, which I think, as we were talking about at the top, I'm sure there were a lot of Dodgers fans that were not happy Joe Black was starting these World Series games, um, but it was pretty cool to see people that were there celebrating him and letting him have a moment to know that they appreciated all the work he'd done because pitching three games in the World Series, like that, I mean, Well, especially that's when a lot. these World Series is seven consecutive days. There's no off days. Yeah. Yeah. There's no off days yeah. because How they're we playing not touched in on the that? Bronx. It's seven 
days straight yeah. where they just go across They're playing town, in the sure, Bronx, but... and then they're playing Oof. in Brooklyn. So there are no off days, that seven actually, days straight. That, that is... makes me wonder what the... I wonder what the makeup of the, the crowd was, like, in terms of oh, Yankee yeah. fans versus Dodger fans. I wonder how many Yankee fans made their way to the game. I it's so hard because everyone just wears suits and fancy <laughs> yeah, dresses to true. this game. Nobody wears jerseys or even hats, like baseball caps. Well, you don't they know. Wear what... Every, almost everybody's wearing a hat. Yeah, yeah. But, it's but like they're not wearing a baseball style, cap. You know, fedora type of thing. <laughs> so it just you have no idea if what team they're rooting for. <laughs> what did jerseys, like fans wearing jerseys, become a big thing? Yeah, I, I, I wonder that too. Uh We'll have to look into that. My we'll guess would be like out. the 60s into the 70s because just normal, what those people were Clothing, wearing, yeah. it wasn't like, that was like normal, now it's considered dress wear, but like casual wear in the yeah. 40s and 50s was dress wear. 1971, yeah. according to Google, the first advertisement for sports jerseys to be that fans could buy was found in an ad for the Sporting News in 1971. Yeah, well, that's fun. Sounds uh, about maybe right. our 1971, the All Star Game that we covered, maybe helped uh, contribute to that. Yeah, go listen to episode two. We talk about that All Star Game in 1971. Are you saying wait, our podcast contributed? No, no, no. I'm saying the game we covered. Oh, I see. Okay. Maybe that had something to do with it too. You know, I don't I thought know. you were saying Big our All-Star 2020 game. podcast episode contributed <laughs> retroactively well, to people in 1971 buying jerseys. He's just making a callback. <laughs> Replacing Black was Elwin, aka the Preacher Row who had won Game 3 and pitched two-thirds of an inning in the Dodgers' Game 6 loss. The Preacher. So we say The Preacher, because that, that's what they call him on the broadcast. The Preacher. Uh, has to be one of the best names, nicknames. I mean, he's listed on Baseball Reference as Preacher Row. Has to be a very, one of the better nicknames, especially when they start calling him The Preacher. I don't, you don't hear a lot of guys that get called The Preacher or The Blank uh, as a common name. I mean, referring to this them. game had the preacher and the Duke. There were two. Dude, that's true. Two the. But they were calling blank. him Duke Snyder. It's not like they were yeah. calling him the Duke all game. And I think they actually are calling Preacher Row the preacher on the mound. Blah blah blah. And they I call just Duke think Snyder so the Duke sometimes. It's 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 cool to call him the Duke. Yeah, oh I sure, it's like cool. It I guess maybe I just didn't notice field. it on the. Broadcast. I noticed it I, almost every any time you made a catch. The broadcasters were yeah. like, "The Duke oh, okay. has it." That make, yeah. The Duke makes one of his patented. Two-handed catches. Yeah. The blank nicknames are fun, uh, fun nicknames. <laughs> well, the preacher got to work quickly, striking out Yogi Berra and working around a single and air to keep the Dodgers only one run behind. Roy Campanella singled in the sixth, but a double play and ground out ended the Dodgers' half of the inning. The preacher gave up a single to Gil McDougald in the seventh, then a sack bunt got him to second for Mickey Mantle, who was first pitch swinging. There's a liner to left center for a base hit. Here comes McDougal rounding third, coming in to score as Snyder's throw goes into Reese. Mantle's base hit just snuck over Reese's outstretched glove and made it Yankees four, Dodgers two. Reese has been, Pee Wee's been having a great day at short today, but he just couldn't. I mean, this one was just well, over his head. Uh, it's just the nothing mic. he could do. What are you going to do? If it was a little lower, Reese definitely would have caught it. Yeah. In the bottom of the seventh, the Dodgers singled and worked a pair of walks to load the bases for Duke Snyder. The Yankees sent a new pitcher, relief arm Bob Kuzava, to the mound, and he got Snyder to pop one up for an infield fly rule. 
There's room for another callback there. There is room for another callback. I wasn't going to. We do don't it need again, to get into the infield yeah. play. <laughs> no, I don't. We do. If anyone wants to hear our thought, I mean, this was a good call, though. Yeah, so no, it, it doesn't even apply. <laughs> but if somebody's listening and doesn't know what the infield fly rule is, go back and listen to uh, what episode was that? Episode, episode eight. eight. Episode infield eight. Flown. Infield oh. flown. Well, then it was Jackie Robinson with two outs and the bases loaded. After smashing a ball out of the stadium that hooked foul, Robinson connected on the sixth pitch. That's a high pop-up. Who's going to get it? Here comes Billy Martin digging hard, and he makes the catch at the last second. How about that? There was the ball that the wind held up. And even though it was just a high pop-up, Billy Martin still had to lunge for the ball. The second baseman Billy Martin's catch at the shoe tops had saved what could have been the tying runs from scoring and instead ended the inning. Oh man, I watched this Justin. one back. Like, oh. I went back and watched that foul ball that was just smashed. It just casually leaves the stadium. Like, yeah. like not left the like it left the whole stadium. <laughs> it was so far. Yeah. I was like, oh man, he was so close. So Just close to the salami. And then, oh, yeah. And then this one. And then this one, uh, yeah, it's a close play. Uh, Billy Martin makes the catch. I mean, Just it doesn't even barely. get past the pitcher's mound, but it's so high up that, like, the entire infield is. It's one of those classic plays that you see on, like, a sports center, not top 10 all the time, where it's just, like, it's so high up there that the infielders don't know what to do and that no a lot of times no they one can't gets, decide who's catching right. it yeah uh, until the last second and billy martin yeah. just barely makes this grab and if he doesn't like that's a crazy play that like the dodgers score runs on on a hit yeah, that score doesn't even one make it for sure yeah one for sure maybe two um maybe two uh yeah it's a tough play tough play for the dodgers a uh, great save for the yankees and billy martin famously uh would go on to manage the Yankees five separate times and have his number one retired. Good for Billy Martin. The Yankees went down quietly in the eighth inning, and with two more Dodger strikeouts, Brooklyn set a new record for strikeouts by a team in a series with 49. So a home run record, and now a strikeout (laughs) record. What is this, 2019? I think so. Although one Dodger on the bench, Ralph Bronco, wasn't too happy with the calls and, would sub- and was subsequently ejected by home plate umpire Larry Getz, becoming only the second major league player to be tossed from a World Series game. He wasn't even in the game. No, he was, uh, he was bench jockeying, uh, which is just calling out the ump, being a, he was going, yeah, being a distraction. Come on, Blue! I say that's a bad call, you see! I've seen... Miggy Cabrera get ejected for bench jacking. Just saying. I, he's the only one I can think of that I've seen get ejected. Bench jockeying? Well, yeah, bench jockeying is such a funny term. In 2019, too. Brett Gardner got ejected for ah, hitting, the, hitting the roof of the dugout with his bat. <laughs> like an absolute weirdo. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Well, I wonder what the. We we'll have to we'll have to figure out what the best bench jockeying moment from baseball history is. is. Bench jockeying and, uh, only when you're. It's I, just when you're on the bench, like, or do you have to like not be in the starting lineup or be a bullpen? I think it's just when you're on the bench. I don't That's know what if I you can't too. be in the lineup. That's what I figured too. It's just anytime you're yelling from the dugout and get tossed. 
Exactly. Yeah, you're being a but if being somebody a else knows on the bench. Send us an email and tell us we're idiots. <laughs> the ninth inning saw Gil McDougald's single, but the rest of the Yanks couldn't score him, setting the stage for the Dodgers' last chance in the bottom of the ninth. Bobby Morgan, who was pinch hitting in the pitcher spot, lined out to second to start the inning. Then it was Billy Cox who grounded out for the second out. Following them was Pee Wee Reese, who was batting 357 in this World Series. As the 33-year-old fan favorite from Ekron, Kentucky, stood at the plate with the Dodgers down by two, he worked a two-and-two count, then swung at the seventh pitch. As a fly ball hit out to left field, Whitling getting under it. And the Yankees are champions, and look at Barrow, piggyback riding Bob Cazala. The Yankees for the fourth consecutive time. And boy, they're pounding that Cazava for a tremendous relief job. Look at him go. The Yankees had done it again. They were World Series champions for the fourth time in four years. Wow. It's amazing to see them, like, they just won four in a row. Like, it is old hat to them. And they're, like, Yogi Berra is jumping on, Yogi Berra is, like, jumping on Kusava's back, piggyback riding him. Like, they're, like, little kids out there just so excited. And it's, like, that's what's great to see is that even though they're just winning year after year after year, it's, like, all right, this is like, it's still a big deal to them. And that's what's yeah, awesome. They got love for the game. Yeah. You know, you'd love to see that. Yeah. It had been a grueling series that saw seven games in seven days straight with new records for home runs and strikeouts, while both teams hit under 216, due in large part to the dominating pitching from both sides. Maybe that was part of the huge celebration, too, is like, this is finally fucking over. Seven games it's in seven over. days, and we nobody's really home. been hitting super well. They're like, yes, we did it. It's over finally. I think that yeah, kind of yeah, was a- jubilation is natural, even if you've won 10 in a row. You're like, it's still the end of the season, and you <laughs> came out on top. I feel like that Yeah, it was a close game. Away. The Yeah, the composite score for the whole series was 26 Yankee runs and 20 Dodger runs on... Oh, 50 hits from both teams. Yeah. Interesting. So um, pretty close series. Not a lot. Not not really high scoring games. Um, the highest scoring game was let's see, game two. The Yankees won seven to one. Uh, yeah. So there's the yeah, whole score scored difference. More than six. There's the whole difference in the composite score right there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. In the end, Allie Reynolds would get the win, while Joe Black took the loss. The Dodgers had come in as underdogs, trying to unseat the dynastic Yankees, but unfortunately couldn't. They'd get another chance the following year in 1953, but would come up short again as the Yankees won their fifth straight title, which still stands as the longest championship streak in baseball. The Dodgers would finally win their first World Series on their eighth try in 1955, when a team made up of mostly the same players with a few notable young additions like Sandy Koufax and Tommy Lasorda defeated the Yankees in seven games. It would be the first and only title the Dodgers would win in Brooklyn, as the team moved to Los Angeles in 1958 and never looked back. While the almost decade-long battle in New York between the Yankees and Dodgers was remarkably one-sided, there was still a level of heart and fight in the Dodgers as they tried year after year to take down their crosstown rivals. And though the 1952 World Series could easily be overlooked as just another Dodgers disappointment during the era of the Yankee, it was still a hard-fought series that saw iconic players go head-to-head and produce one of the best championship bouts in baseball history. And that 
is worth remembering. Yeah, this was a great game. This was a lot of fun. That amount of star power in one game is awesome. All right, well, yeah, what do you guys say we uh, do some extra innings? Sam, you've got something? I have an idea based on current events and the fact that today, a little peek behind the curtain. So today we're actually recording this on the 4th of July. Um, and something that's in the news a lot right now is Mount Rushmore kind of to go along with like a lot of statues and stuff that are coming down around the country. And the, our dingbat president just gave a speech at Mount Rushmore. Um, and I personally, I could give a fuck about Mount Rushmore. I mean, half the people up there were slave owners, Teddy Roosevelt, just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Person. We don't fuck with Mount Rushmore, <laughs> uh, but I was thinking what could be nice is a tribute to our national pastime, maybe a Mount Crushmore cause people crushing home runs, something like that. Uh, how about our Mount Rushmore of baseball and sure. who, the four, the four, heads or, or whatever we would put up there all right sam what's your uh first who's your first person then all right so my first person that i would put up on my mount i'm calling mine mount crushmore the first person i would put up there is the babe and he would be eating a hot dog <laughs> he'd be eating a hot dog up on mount rushmore i like it just all right nice nice um Okay, well, Charlie. Yeah, who's well, your number one pick? My number one. <laughs> he is in this game, and he broke the color barrier. It's got to be Jackie Robinson. Is my first head on Mount Rushmore. Epic That's player, great, great person, and yeah, I just he would have to be up there. All right. Um, I'm gonna go a little different because one thing I like about baseball sometimes just how goofy and uh, how bad things can sometimes become very iconic so my number one thing i don't this is in no particular order i I suppose but the first thing i'm gonna say is up there is uh bill buckner's e3 we're putting that up there (laughs) Uh, one of the most famous i think moments of baseball (laughs) that's up there for me how does that how does that look like what does that look like you just it's like him standing there with his legs wide open and reaching down and then there's like a ball carved and it's going you know under his glove all right and he's like yeah (laughs) no what should be is because because mount rushmore is just heads it should be like bill buckner's face just making like a oh my god (laughs) (laughs) sure (laughs) although i think my mine is going to be a little more uh I mean, I know on the current Mount Rushmore, you've got a little bit of Washington's body on there. Okay, Mine's so he's got on a like little the corner, more so you can see his whole body. Yeah, Bill Buckner's maybe on like the the corner of mine, kind of, so you can see more of him with the ball going through his legs. All right, all right. Um, okay, so back to me. Yeah. Um, obviously, I think Jackie Robinson's a great pick. Uh, he deserves to be on any Mount Rushmore, but I'm gonna go. Uh. Just to be different, I'm not going to put him on mine, but I, I fully support that. Um, but someone I would put on my Mount Rushmore is one of my favorite players, and I want to represent my Chicago White Sox up there. I'm going to put Mini Minoso. Um, he's one of the first Latin players, one of the first Cuban players, and the only player to play Major League Baseball in five decades. This man That's got a hit cool. when he was like in his 50s. So I'm going to put Mr. White Sox, Mini Minoso, on my Mount Crushmore. He's got a cool name, too. And he's got a great yeah. name. Yeah, Mini Minoso, that's a great name. All right. I'm going with 
Barry Bonds. I mean, come on. Barry fucking Bonds. Great. He should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care about steroids. Steroids are a non-factor to me. Bonds is on my... <laughs> he's on my Mount Crushmore. The Barry Bonds. Crushiest of all the crushers. With he's his statue, there. just crushing some pills. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. All right. Um, let's see. I think my second uh piece of I'm calling Mount mine Mount Baseballs. Uh and mine is uh the second thing is a player. It would not be clear who this player is, but it would be a player uh eating a fan's nachos. Because <laughs> I love when that happens <laughs> in a game when a fielder catches a foul ball Wait, and then proceeds so to any take player, a couple nachos. Don't have, like one player in mind. It would be one of those things where it's like any player like they would see themselves, you know. It'd be kind of one of those representations. Is like this could be you, you. do one of those things you where could it's be like the headless on Mount mannequin. baseballs. So the I'm headless seeing here, what? Uh, I'm seeing Prince Fielder doing it, so it could be Prince okay. Fielder. I'm seeing someone named Jeff Huson of the Baltimore Orioles. I think that's who okay. should be up there. Give him some props. Sure. Who was it, Sam? Which one? That guy. The other Jeff. one. The Jeff one Huson? not named Prince Fielder. Jeff Hewson. We'll say it's him, but we'll say that his features are somewhat vague enough I mean, he had, that any player he could just look kind at of a that. Generic and, looking white guy. <laughs> any player could look at that and think, that could be me. <laughs> all right, Sam. Um, uh, who else you got on Mount, your Mount Crushmore? All right, my third guy up on Mount Crushmore is going to be a guy who didn't crush homers, but he crushed catcher's mitts, Sandy Koufax. Oh, that's a good nice, pitch. In my nice. opinion, the best best uh, pitcher of all time and proud member of the tribe, my tribe. Um, probably the best Jewish athlete in the history of sports. So I'm going to put Sandy Koufax up there. And he uh, it's going to be him eating a Passover dinner. Wait, is everybody eating on yours? Was Minnie Minoso eating? No, Minnie Minoso wasn't too? eating. It was just old ass Minnie Minoso with like wrinkles. He's got to be eating. On Come on, Sam. You got to keep up the theme. What's Minnie eating? Min- Come he's on. eating tapioca pudding because he's so old. <laughs> God. And Sandy Koufax is up there eating his Passover Seder. That's great. I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right. Um, Charlie, what do you got next? All right. Uh, my third head on Mount Crushmore, Cal Ripken Jr., because he played in. So many games in a row. How many games? I I can't even remember. <laughs> Every time it, I think about it, my brain just starts to hurt because it's That's so a lot many of games. games. So he's got to be up there because, and I think he would uh, underneath would be carved. You know, two thousand six hundred thirty-two. Yeah, see, when you get to two thousand, once you once I hear two thousand six hundred, my brain is just like. <laughs> <laughs> you can't Ish. remember a 32 at the end of it i well i can remember 32 on its own <laughs> but then i start thinking when i get to 2600 and then i start thinking that those are like actual baseball games that he had to play in a row yeah. and then my brain's like ah the other i mean yeah dare i say other ones that's a lot of games yeah that is a lot of games so he's up there for me um okay sounds good my um my third thing on mount baseballs is uh the randy johnson exploding bird (laughs) (laughs) nice 
Um, and I don't really need to say much more about it other than that. That's just up there. It's a carved out puff of feathers. Oh, God. Um, I think, I don't even think you see Randy Johnson. I think it's just an explosion just of feathers. <laughs> it's what's left of the bird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's my number three. All right, Sam, finish it out. Um, okay, so I have so far Babe Ruth eating a hot dog, Minnie Minoso eating tapioca pudding, and Sandy Koufax <laughs> eating his Passover Seder. Um, <laughs> yep. My fourth head that's going on my Mount Crushmore is the goat, Mike Trout. Nice. And yep. he's just got a big trout in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like how a bear would have like a fish hanging out of his mouth. Uh, Mike Trout just has a fish. Just a big trout fish hanging out of his mouth. Cannibalizing himself. I like it, though. <laughs> nice. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's, a good, uh, it's pretty badass. That's a good choice. All right. All my right. final head. Charlie. My final head on my Mount Crushmore is Wade Boggs. He's got one of the best mustaches in baseball history. <laughs> He's also you know, a great player, too. But his mustache, it makes me feel things. So he's got to be up there. And he has the uh, the record for drinking, you know, what sixty something, hundred something beers. Yeah, I think that I think the number is not. I can't uh, remember what the number is supposed to be, but I just remember the "It's Old Sunny in Philadelphia" episode, right? Where they try yeah, and beat it, that's... and that is my all time favorite episode of that show. <laughs> Apparently, Wade Boggs told Charlie Day he drank a hundred and seven beers in one day. Jesus uh, on a on a cross country <laughs> flight. He's the chicken man. <laughs> That's great. Um all right. Um my final head on Mount Baseballs is uh Bobby Valentine wearing <laughs> a fake mustache and sunglasses. <laughs> when he snuck back into the dugout after being ejected. Yes, yes, yes. That is uh the my fourth head on Mount Baseballs, Bobby Valentine. Fake mustache and sunglasses after he snuck back into the dugout. Uh, Bobby V. <laughs> yeah, I dropped the photo in our little uh, document here. Uh, we'll make sure to post. Well, I'll make sure to post my photos, maybe. Um, at least because some of these. I are, guess I could try to Photoshop like... something together of my Mount Crushmore. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe we could all. I mean, Charlie's got the easiest thing. Mine's he just gotta, has to put four heads. Um, yeah, maybe we can try to put together some photos, at least maybe post some images of the players or the uh, people we're talking about uh, on our Mount, uh, well, Mount two, two Mount Crushmores and a Mount Baseballs. So, uh, all right. Yeah, that's that. That is uh, one game at a time. Um, we propose that they make a new somewhere else, three of them. <laughs> side by side by side, all three of our baseball. Uh, Warner, yours. Monuments. I'm really not sure how they're gonna make that one. Well, look, there's oh, a lot Sam, of mountains out in I'll, Colorado I'll do a mock and Utah. Up. There's a lot of mountains out in Colorado and Utah. A lot of real estate that isn't sacred yeah. land to people, and they can just exactly. go crazy and carve away. Yeah, Utah. I bet would love to have some baseball in their state. So this is the perfect idea. Carve out three, well, two Mount Crushmores and a Mount Baseballs, and then you know maybe they just carve at Ogat Pod under <laughs> them. You know, just so it needs to be know. watermarked. Um, yeah, yeah, just in case. Um, <laughs> and you know, honor baseball the one game at a time way. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. 
Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, we had a good time watching it. We had some fun talking about it. Uh, email us at ogatpod at gmail.com. If you have any game suggestions or if you just want to reach out and say hi, uh, you know, we'll maybe email back. And if you guys have any comments or thoughts about this game, uh, we'd love to hear them. It'd be fun to see what you thought of it. Yeah, if anybody listening happened to be alive during the 50s, I'd love to hear what the consensus was or what your opinion was about the Yankees and Dodgers, you know, like we said earlier, the Yankees being in the World Series or New York teams being in the World Series every year. I'm really curious uh, if anybody has firsthand experience with that. Yeah. Yeah, we'd love to hear it. Um, so, yeah, new episodes every Tuesday. And if you enjoyed the show, tell your friends about us. We're on all the podcast platforms so they can listen wherever they want. Uh, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review as well. Those reviews really help us get the show out there, especially with baseball uh, coming back and people are looking up baseball content. Uh, we'd love it if they found this podcast. Uh, also, follow us on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at OGATPod on all of those. We're putting stuff up on there. Um, you know, we like to try to post pictures and stuff that we talk about. Um, just other ways to connect with us. And uh, finally, last but not least, we are on Patreon too. So check that out if you want to support the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, we've got a couple different tiers there with some different um, rewards and things like that. Yeah, and, and we'll also be say, shouting out new supporters. If you check out the Patreon... Yeah and you see that Sam is going to draw your picture, and you think, oh, I don't really want that. Trust me. You want it. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like... Yeah, we posted one so you can see what it looks it's like. It's an MS Paint. lucky. It's, it's so bad it's good. I, I brought a tear to my eye. Whoa, so. whoa, so bad it's good. <laughs> so good it's bad. Whoa. One way or the other. One way <laughs> or the other, you want it. But uh, yeah, so check out the Patreon. Uh, we would really appreciate it. And finally, yeah, we'll shout out new supporters at the end of our episodes too. So you can get your name on the show. Right. And all the funds from Patreon we're using to erect our Mount Crushmores slash Mount Baseballs. <laughs> yep. We're uh, buying the land in mm -hmm. Utah. I'm currently on Zillow as we speak, <laughs> looking for land in the Utah desert. Yeah. And don't worry. It's not going to be dangerous <laughs> having people go up there with dynamite where you're going to have drones with lasers Wait. on them, carving it out. Oh, no. Oh, you can we go were... up there. I'm not. Yeah, going I want to use dynamite. Oh. I'm just gonna like. I'm I thought gonna it was have gonna be built up there entirely by people hitting fungos off the rock <laughs> until it breaks. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we're gonna keep talking about Mount Crushmore and Mount Baseballs, but you all uh, have a good week. We'll see you all uh, next Tuesday. Bye bye. 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 bye.